Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. It's almost a week on, but what a night in Barcelona last Wednesday. We relive it all with Rachel. Plus, after Arsenal's exit, how much ground do WSL clubs have to make up before they can consistently sit at Europe's top table? Elsewhere, Liverpool clinched the championship title, but how ready are they for the top flight? And the Lionesses are on the home straight before the Euros. We look at Serena Wiegmann's penultimate squad before a huge summer. So that was the dulcet tones of Barcelona. I don't know if anyone's seen the Cheetah Girls uh, movie where they go to Barcelona and dance around, but um, 
that's essentially what Rachel got to experience. Uh, and we've got some uh, a lovely audio that she, she from a video that she recorded from her time in Barcelona. So tell us what it was like, because from my Twitter feed, I was getting mad FOMO because it looked like the greatest trip of all time. Yeah, not to put it lightly, but it was probably the best football match I have ever experienced. I think it will take a lot to top that from the pre-match kind of build up. Um, the amount of fans that were outside the stadium waiting for the team buses to arrive was ridiculous. They had like a band playing all the, the Barca songs. They had two guys on stilts for some reason. Um, lots of flag waving and flares. Like It was absolutely insane. And then inside the ground was just a whole nother level. Um, and I was very lucky to be sitting near their kind of uh, team band guys with all the massive flags and stuff. So yeah, the atmosphere was rocking. I mean, obviously, we, you sent us the clips, you sent us the photo, you sent us the video footage on the WhatsApp. And I was sitting at home in my room, obviously doing my rehab very diligently. And it was just, it was massive FOMO. I was just like, why am I not there? Why did I not get a ticket over there? Why did I not book a, book a flight? Um, but yeah, the atmosphere just looked insane. And what a game it was as well. I mean, you couldn't have asked for more drama. The penalties, the the goals, the, you know, you thought there were comebacks starting to be made. And then Barcelona just went and tore things up. Yeah, what was really cool as well was we saw so many um, media from the UK and like people from over here, uh, people who work in the women's game from over here. There was people from other parts of Europe. It was a proper lads on tour situation and I'm really gutted I wasn't a lad on that tour. But what I, lo- I, f- I actually think it's quite a unique thing in women's football where you will go to see other teams play that you don't like support week in, mm. week out. Like you will travel to another country to get be a part of history. Um, so yeah, I, I do feel for you guys. You've massively missed out. Thank, thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's the greatest triple time here and there. So, yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, guys. Great. Um, what was your favourite part of the whole trip? Um, is there one moment that you'll feel like that will live with me for a very long time? Um, I mean, the crowd noise will live with me for a very long time. I think, I so I was pitch side, which was really cool. I was photog- photography for, um, for Girls on the Ball. And... I when I arrived, like there were so many media and photography down there that I decided to sit down the end that Real Madrid would be shooting, where like not that many people chose to sit. They all sat at the end Barca would be shooting. But it meant that in the second half I had a really good seat for when Barca scored all their goals. Um so I think a moment for me that stood out was when Alexia Putea scored. And then like massive celebration right in front of me and then bowed to the crowd behind. Mm. And I got that on camera. Like, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh my God, don't fuck up. Like, make it, be in focus. Press the make button. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was really, really cool. And, I, and closely followed by Caroline Graham Hansen scoring and then knee sliding right in front of me as well. So, I yeah, that, that kind of second half of football, for me, from a photography perspective, I think will stay with me. And just like that meme of Jeremy Corbyn, we're going to do it all over again because Barcelona are going to play Wolfsburg in the next round at the Camp Nou. Uh, are you going to be doing it all over again? I don't know. We were looking at that. We were thinking of maybe... Thing is, like, okay, 50,000 tickets sold. Probably going to be an amazing atmosphere again. But I feel like... I don't know. If, I don't want to, like, try and repeat that and then potentially be disappointed. I think that was an incredible moment. We might maybe go to Paris instead and look at PSG Lyon. That could be a good one. Are you tempted? Or you, I suppose you won't be able to probably squeeze it into your already exploding schedule of life. 100% I'm going. I have to. I really <laughs> want to go. And, you know, I saw already this morning um, Alex Abiceto, you know, does the zone Champions League stuff and lots of other bits in women's football. She was sharing the online queue for tickets. 130,000. Yeah, crazy. And they'd what? already sold 
I think, what, around 50,000 yeah. through members anyway of the club. So this is how the general release. There's about, what, 40,000 more. And they're going to sell really quickly. So actually, I haven't got a ticket. So I probably won't be able to get one anyway because it's going to be sold out. But yeah, amazing, amazing night. Massive FOMO. And hopefully the start of, of more stuff to come. You know, I really like the way that Barca had that big... Do you call it like a, a decal, people like to call it, or display, you know, where they everyone held up those plastic yeah. bits of plastic that spell something out. And... um it said in big letters, more than empowerment. And I really like that because I feel like when we talk around women's football and women's sport, it's always this conversation about like empowering girls and, you know, thinking about the future. And when England lost at the World Cup in 2019, the first thing Phil Neville said was, oh, I think we've inspired loads of girls back home, which is fine. But sport isn't just about participation and inspiration you don't talk to the England men after they lost the Euros final and say think about all the kids you've inspired back home that's not the main focus it's entertainment it's you know that's why we love it it's the drama it's the fandom it's your bond with the club and that's why people turned out to watch Barcelona because they love Barcelona they love the players they love the quality of the football and they want to watch and be entertained 90 over 9,000 people did not go and watch that game because they want to be inspired to play football that is a circumstance of the whole scenario as well so to say more than empowerment for me my interpretation of that is it's about like thinking beyond just empowering people and it's like the future of women's football and it also proves that 91,553 people did not turn out because they got free tickets by the way to all those trolls out there and they they were not passive fans like they were engaged they knew all the songs they knew all the chants they knew when to come in they knew all the players names uh, yeah, they were they were big Barca fans. So yeah, I think Alex, Alexi Batea said it before the game. There's going to be a moment before this game, and there's going to be a moment after. And I'm just so glad that like we were there for that moment. And hopefully, Wolfsburg and Barca, if you do go, will be another big moment. And it sounds like the appetite's there as well for Barcelona with that Wolfsburg game to continue to host quite a lot more games there. And I think that's really important to build that consistency, also to build the habit of going to watch them in the Johan Cruyff. Academy Stadium and and for other clubs to do that too. But I also think it's important to show that it can be more than just a one-off. Um, so then you continued your European tour <laughs> and you went to Wolfsburg on Thursday uh, for the Wolfsburg-Arsenal game. I did. A 2-0 defeat for Arsenal. Disappointing night for them. I thought they were the worst team in the first leg and they certainly were the worst team in the second leg as well. Um, I suppose it wasn't ever really going to be an easy draw for them. We saw what Wolfsburg did to Chelsea in both of those group games, made it very difficult. Um, and even if Arsenal did get through, they uh, Barcelona awaited them. So maybe they feel a bit relieved because they can really focus on the title race now. But you were there, Rachel. Give us your initial take on things and, and also how it compared to Barcelona because it was also in the main club stadium. Yeah, it was quite the come down. I'm not going to lie. Um <laughs> What was the attendance? 11,000? 11, 11,000, which wasn't bad when you consider the size of, of Wolfsburg. Mm. Um, it was pretty decent and they had a pretty decent atmosphere. And I do like um, the way German fans engage with football. They've they've often got like a conductor that tells them when to come in and stuff. And they're really good at engaging with the, the like the announcer. Um, and they've always got like a call and, and response type of thing going yeah. on. So that was fun. They had a cool light show and, you know, Wolfsburg have the wolves. So they had like the wolves howling and that kind of thing was quite fun. Um, but yeah, I think, and, and then the football on the pitch was um, rubbish. Like, I mean, <laughs> Arsenal didn't turn up in the first half at all, and Wolfsburg weren't even that good. But because Arsenal were poor, Wolfsburg dominated. Um, better in the second half, but yeah, it just wasn't a brilliant game of football, unfortunately. Chloe, 
looking bigger picture outside of that game because it wasn't exactly a classic, um, there's always this conversation about bridging the gap. No, no English team has won the the European title since Arsenal back in 2007. Chelsea came very cl- close last season but got absolutely demolished by Barcelona in the final. So let's look at that bigger picture, bridging that gap conversation again. How far away do you think Arsenal are? How far away do you think Chelsea are? How far away are Man City? Like, When do you think WSL teams might be able to bridge that gap? And as someone who has played in the WSL, why do you think there is still quite a big gap there? To be honest, I don't think we're too far away from that That being, you know, an English club taking home the, the Champions League title. I think it is coming, especially in the next couple of years. But I agree. I think it's based on experience. And I know we were kind of talking about this briefly before, but you know, the clubs that we're talking about that we'd be expecting to go into the Champions League every year, you know, the, the Man City's, the Chelsea, the Arsenal, um, every year they sort of come close, but not close enough. I mean, but we look back at, you know, how things were with Chelsea and Barcelona in the last Champions League final that the was it four four nil four four nil defeat and it was um I think then it was kind of a, a a test then to see how far we'd really come and we completely failed as a as a you know as a WSL we completely failed in that respect so I just don't think we really lived up to expectations there was a a chance there to really kind of make history and we and we didn't do it and I think a part of that is based on experience and kind of falling at the final hurdle maybe the the crowd or the you know the the occasion gets too much for them but I think we're still you know really struggling in that respect and I'm not too sure why that is because the talent in the WSL you should be expecting more more from from it. Yeah, I'd agree with you there. And I, I do think the new format will help your the teams in the WSL be exposed to different types of football, you know, top quality football in the group stages. Um, I know Arsenal didn't do all that well against Barcelona and, and Chelsea obviously struggled against Wolfsburg as well um, in this campaign. But I think they're only going to learn massively from that. Um, you know, in the past, we'd see them potentially only really meet them later on in the knockout stages. So I think that will be huge. I think both teams need experience in those big games um, because that lack of experience, I think, showed they just didn't turn up to those matches. And you can't afford to do that at the Champions League. Um, but also this thing of catching up, like the difficulty is European football isn't going to stand still and wait for the WSL to catch up. That It's just going to keep the on The English growing. arrogance is unmatched, isn't it? Well, it's like, <laughs> we want to win that. Let us win it. Yeah, Slow just, down. Stop, just wait for us, We're trying guys. to chase you. Um, so there is that level of it's got to be more investment. It's it's still a relatively young professional league when you think about it. Um, but at the same time, you've got so many of the best players over there, in, in over here, that you would be expected them to do better. So I think... I think the new format will help us see more teams reaching those latter stages. And I think it will mix up a little bit in the coming years. I also think, yeah, to follow up on that, is is that short, is the transformation of that short-term thinking because the the youth of the league when it comes to professionalism also has meant that there's only ever been like one, two-year contracts right for players. So it's very hard to build a team and have a long-term vision and plan to win stuff when your squad's changing so much every summer. And when you look at the sides that have had a lot of success in this tournament, it's in this competition, it's because they've managed to keep those squads together for a very long time. They've managed to build that culture, that identity, that winning formula. So I think as the WSL continues to evolve and and, and clubs continue to have bigger budgets and you look at Chelsea signing players to three-year contracts and that becoming standard now within their squads I think you will see people push and come closer because coaches will be there longer players will be there longer and then they'll be able to work towards something so at the moment I think the English teams have always been on such short cycles that it's really hard to actually compete with the biggest sides in Europe who are not only getting the best talent but also securing them 
for long for a longer periods of time and then keeping them all together. I think we will start to see that a little bit more, but there's still that mystery around like how long players' contracts are, like Leah Williamson and Steph Horton oh, yeah, both signing both signing long term contracts. And I think it's really interesting because we've you've got to move beyond that one year deal situation because you're never really gonna be able to build a successful team around it. There's probably not a huge amount of excuses at the end mm. of the day. Those European teams, your Leons, your Barcelonas, your Wolfsburgs, they're better than the English teams, end of. Um, and things don't happen quickly in football. Progress takes a while, although Barcelona has shown us all that that may not be the case. But generally, progress takes a while. Um, so yeah, I think new format will have a big impact on, on how the Champions League plays out going forward. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So one of the big stories from the weekend, the return of Liverpool to the WSL, it's felt like inevitability really this season. They've absolutely stormed it. They've got some WSL level players in that team. Leanne Kiernan, who was at West Ham, has had an absolute revival. Um, Rachel Furness, obviously a very good player playing in the championship. So it almost felt inevitable, but they did it in style. 4-2 win um, over Bristol City at Ashton Gate. A record championship attendance, over 5,000 there. Looked like a brilliant atmosphere. Looked like some brilliant celebrations as well. Really, really enjoying the moment. And to give them their credit, you know, Liverpool had a lot of criticism over the years for the way that the women's team had been treated by the club. And I think those... Eyes will still be on them because I think they still have a lot to prove that, you know, the, the, the club are going to get the right support 
doesn't just need to be financial, but the right support and the right sort of professional culture created and, and the players are supported. But it is good to see them bounce back, I suppose. And also you don't want to see a team like that who have so much rich history in the WSL winning it twice to then just like linger in the lower tiers for so long. So I think it is positive to see them come back up. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and I agree with you around what's gone on previously. That's not something you can forget about easily. And I think with a club, it's it's all well and good when a club is winning a league, um, but it's not going to be as easy in the WSL. So I think the key thing will be seeing how much support, they, that, that the support continues for them up in the WSL. They need patience when they come into a new league. They need commitment in terms of bringing in new players, strengthening the squad. Um, so it's brilliant they're back. Really pleased to have them back. Really pleased to have Matt Beard back in the WSL as well. Um, and there's some great players in there as well who deserve to be playing um, in WSL. So great news, but I just hope that it's you know a, a positive move forward for them and, and they keep that support for the squad. I think it can only be positive. I mean, when you play against them, you you really are playing against, you, it's a noticeable WSL side because of the experience that they have. And, you know, I've played with Rachel Furness before and she's been such a key player for them in their campaign this season and, and a phenomenal leader on and off the pitch. And, you know, they really do deserve it. I mean, I you know, I hate to say it. I hate to say it. Every time we played against them, they've been very difficult to yeah, break down. Yeah, you, because you would have played them in the WSL and in the championship, right? Yes. So how would you say, obviously different players, different coaches, but how would you say those experiences differed like would you say they're in a lot better shape now than they were when they when you face them in the WSL 100% I think they were sort of climb well they were going down at that point in the WSL and I think obviously with the championship my experience of them has always been very um, for me personally very bad because they've been, go- they've been <laughs> uh, going terrible up. actually yeah. <laughs> yeah because they have been going up and I think a massive part of that is probably to do with Matt Beard and also a lot of the the players that they had previously have kept with them even when they've dropped down uh, I know Rinzola she left to, to join um, she was she went to Brighton didn't she initially um, you know they're, 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 they're a fantastic club and I think obviously there's been a lot going on behind the scenes but you know, I do. There are some concerns that I have about them going up into WSL. I mean, it's difficult to make that transition from Championship to WSL, and you know, they're, they're going to have been very used to basically winning a lot of their games. They've come up against, you know, most weeks they'll come up against part-time squads, part-time players, and now they're going into a fully professional outfit again. So I think things are going to be slightly different. And you know, it's been two years since they've been out of the WSL. Things have changed a lot. There's some big, big signings that have been made in that time. So. Um, you know, I do I do kind of worry a little bit. It, it's difficult to, to do that transition. Um, but at the same time, I think they've got the depth of the squad they need to to keep up and, and, to, and to make sure they're not, not going to be relegated next year. Um, yeah, so credit to them. Yeah, they've, they've been phenomenal. I think it's interesting as well because I don't think that, like I said, I don't think that focus is going to disappear around them. But I also think when you look at the place that the club as a whole is in, and the investment that's been given to the men's team and these ridiculous new sparkly facilities they've got that are as good as what you know Spurs men had and now Spurs women have access to. But I still find it a bit frustrating that the women's team aren't going to be getting a similar situation where they can access any of the top-class facilities. They're still training at where Tranmere play in the Wirral, uh, a place called the Campus. And the men have now moved to their deluxe mega facility. And supposedly the the women are searching for a, a, a new place that they might be able to call home. But it does seem still frustrating to me that they can't access top-class facilities because that is going to be 
the backbone of having a successful team. No matter how good some of these facilities they might be accessing, like it's still not a WSL quality situation. Yeah, and I think they've um it's been reported, I think, by Emma Sanders at the BBC that they are looking to build a facility for the women. Which in itself sounds great, but for me it sounds like a why would you pump money into that if you've got already if you've already got, got it right? Yeah, and like, that's going to take time. It's going to take money. There's pump not that money overnight. into a different aspect of the women's team, yeah. um, because there are top class facilities there for them to utilize. And I, I, from what I've read, the, the the new facility for the men's team is massive. Oh, it's massive! It literally costs so much money to build. And also, when you look at when men's sides have opened new training grounds, Leicester, West Ham, when the men moved to a new amazing training facility. The women got the old ones, which are still amazing. Leicester City in one of the best training facilities in the whole entire division. West Ham in very good facilities. What have Liverpool done with their old one? They've sold it to Stephen Gerrard's soccer schools. So I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. And I think there's a brilliant opportunity for Liverpool to put right what went wrong before. And the players right now, there seems to be a great spirit in that group when the same could not have been said a year or so ago when you had multiple players leaving and putting out on social media about how unhappy they were, about how they were treated. This is such an important opportunity. Like, just make some space. Give women some space in these facilities. Why? You know, it just it just makes me, like, it makes me hard to take them seriously when I see stuff like that, where it just, if other clubs can do that, then why can't you? I mean, I don't have the answer. I don't understand it. It's I feel like I'm directing you this are at directing you, this but at me. I don't mean this. I, I think it's the Rachel, boards. Rachel, come on, man. <laughs> Sorry. I, I think it's the boards. I think the boards well, have Well, yeah, I mean, of... obviously selling the facility makes them more money than giving it to the yeah, women, Yeah, but then right? you spend a lot of money building a new facility for the women True. to make it make sense. Yeah. I think they just like keeping things separate. I think there's a, a certain element of some of these sort of old historic boards that just kind of want to keep things um, apart. You know, I saw the same situation happen at Spurs and now obviously that, that's been reversed and and the uh, the Spurs women have been brought into the the amazing campus facility that was you know it was outstanding, um, but I, do, I it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, and I, I don't think the women's team or or any of us are going to ever be privy to it. But it does make a mockery out of comments that you know you see Jurgen Klopp now you know oh well this is a fantastic opportunity for the women's team to you know come up into the WSL. We really support them, and then lo and behold, they're not going to be actually joining the the men's team at their spanking new facility. So it does it, it sort of a, it doesn't really make sense, and it just feels a bit fake some of that yeah I mean all we can do is keep putting the pressure on right keep talking about it keep highlighting these things and maybe they'll look at the likes of Chelsea Arsenal Leicester and West Ham and the success I mean obviously it's been a difficult season for Leicester but there's a massive long-term vision long-term ambition there look at what they're doing and think well if we don't do it too we won't be able to keep up with them yeah, and, and speaking of Leicester, um, mid-season um, they did actually bring in Ross Fraser as the club's first managing director and he previously worked for Leicester so would have overseen that period of the team moving to full-time professionalism, um, the opening of the new training ground, you know, before promotion to the WSL. Um, for me, that shows good intent, you know, getting the right people in to hopefully push them forward. He knows what worked and, and you know... I guess he would have seen them using that training ground. So I don't know what kind of, whether he can get into the ear of people, but um, I, I do think that in itself at least shows some good intent, getting in the right people. I think yeah, and I think he's he's worked with Matt Beard as well, I think previously at West Ham. So they obviously like enjoy working yeah. together. And I think 
when Matt Beard joined West Ham, there was obviously a lot of ambition there. They had uh, Jack Sullivan, and and they, they were you know talking about how they fat spent you know over a million pounds on tran- on you know transfer fees and, and wages and all that kind of stuff. But um, there was massive ambition there, so I think hopefully that will be shown from Liverpool as well. Yeah, massively, and I think not only just from an equality perspective, but also for the morale of the players. Like I know from my own experience, like when you are given access to the the right kinds of things, and you can see that amazing things are going on behind the scenes you feel a part of the club and I think you you emulate that kind of professionalism on the pitch everything changes you step up a gear I think so I think it, it is important now just to take things to, to the next level because these players are clearly ready for it I mean they, they are essentially WSL players anyway um, and it just means a, a great deal to the players and you see that sort of momentum the motivation and the drive to actually you know carry the badge with a lot more pride when you know that the club is supporting you in that respect. So we've got two World Cup qualifiers for England in the next week or so. One against North Macedonia, Rachel's flying out to that. And then one against Northern Ireland that Rachel will be at as well in Belfast at Windsor Park. Um, Tom Gary wrote an interesting column about this saying it feels like it's not important to take a first team squad out to that North Macedonia game because it won't be competitive. But... At the same time, we there's not many games left in order for Serena Vigman to get her squad where she wants it to be for the Euro. So really any game is, is still useful at this point. Yeah, and I, I think that's how Serena Vigman, she's, we've talked about her before, she's not the type to give, be sentimental and give someone kind of pity caps. She will be looking at getting her best squad um, in there. She needs her, her squad to know how to play against teams who are going to have a low defensive block, who can, you know, problem solve on the pitch, who can find gaps and find goals. And there's no point bringing out, you know, a whole lot of players that aren't going to make the Euros um, for a game like this. That wouldn't really make sense to me. So I think she did say this is this squad is is getting very close to what her final squad will be for the Euros. I think if anything, the only benefit may be in having a games that are, you know, slightly easier uh, will be there could be sort of potential there for squad rotation. Um, you know, try and you know, I'm not essentially trying out players that they, they're not going to use for the Euros, but you know, trying out players who will probably be on the bench and giving them some minutes because they will be expected to come on at some point if things aren't going to plan or they need to change strategy. So I think it could be a, a sort of almost like a blank canvas. I think really to look at different types of strategies, maybe change up the formation and just see how certain things work against certain opposition. So. I see what Tom Gary's saying, but I, but I agree. I don't think this is the time now. You know, we're a couple of months away from the tournament to be thinking about just giving people minutes for minutes' sake. Yeah, I suppose the only risk is going to be a, an injury or something, but Touchwood, you know, that that is quite unlikely. Um, and you look at her squad as well at the moment and you think it's probably going to stay relatively similar uh, all the way through to the year. We've got Fran Kirby, who's absent at the moment, um, illness and injury at Chelsea. Beth England and Neve Charles tested positive for covid today Tuesday so they're out the squad um but potentially looking at a grand return for someone like Chloe Kelly who got some minutes for Man City at West Ham on on Saturday that would be a really good comeback because we know how dangerous England are looking on the left side now so to add a little bit of spice a little bit of energy that Chloe Kelly that we've seen over the last couple of years that would be brilliant for England if she can get up to speed, but she hasn't got a lot of time. She doesn't, but Chloe Kelly and Lauren Hamm playing together is just... It's amazing, right? Because I always forgot about her because it's such a horrible injury. She's so, spent so much time out and City and England have kind of 
got used to life without her and she never got lots of opportunities with England because she was reaching her stride during just COVID. Before the, and and just before the injury. Yeah, and there yeah. weren't a lot of opportunities to play football then. But it, if she can get anywhere near where she was, it would be so good for England. Yeah, I think for me, she's likely one of the few players that um, Serena might take a risk on. Um, but as you say, it's very much dependent on whether she gets minutes. And I think she will. I think Gareth Taylor will give Chloe Kelly minutes in their final games. She's not the kind of player that's really going to put you at risk when you put her on the pitch. Um, she offers so much, even after the injury. And I saw her at West Ham at the weekend and um, she looked good. She was only on for maybe 10, 15 minutes, but you know, great to see her back. And she would be a huge bonus to be able to bring along to the Euros. I mean, even though she's such a young player, I mean, I played with her in, uh, back in the Arsenal reserve squad and I think she was only about 15, 16 at that time. And even then, I mean, the talent on her, I was just like, this girl is going places. And then obviously, I mean, even being the age that she is, she's got so much WSL experience anyway, you know, with Everton. I think she's going to be such a massive asset to the squad. So she's still, as long as she recovers well, she's obviously doing a rehab and things like that. But, you know, I think she's going to be a massive asset to the squad going forwards. Are there any particular positions where you guys feel like that's the weak spot in England right now? Um, Probably it used to be defence. Um midfield is sometimes a little bit shaky um but i think if we i think we saw in the arna clark cup when we played two sixes um that that worked really effectively and we've seen vegman now i think this is what she's rather than kind of bringing up players to give minutes to for minutes sake what i think she will be using these games for is trying out different formations we saw her do that do that at the arna clark cup um so i think figuring out more the defensive midfield side of things um, is the key area for England. Um, and if Fran Kirby does come back, I think using her in her most effective position will be important. Um, but yeah, that'll be the, the key areas for And me. you're feeling fairly confident and comfortable with defence at the moment? They've definitely been better. Yeah, I would agree <laughs> But then that. I'm wondering, maybe I've set the bar low. But maybe we haven't seen enough yet. Yeah, but I do think players like Alex Greenwood have had such a good season at Man City, for example. She's definitely come back and been really solid. Um, and they've definitely looked much less shaky than they have in the past. Um, Alex Greenwood and, and Millie Bright together have, have worked really well. Um, and you've got some good players like Lotta Wubben Moore. You've got Neve Charles coming in, Jess Carter. There's a lot more depth in the defence than I think we, we used to use. Um, and I think finding the perfect balance, the perfect central defensive pairing I think we're much closer to that than we were in the past. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think defensively we do look strong. I think our own, uh, I think the only threat could be ourselves essentially I think we have been you know the Arnold Clark Cup I think was an example of that where we have just let go sort of silly mistakes and very basic errors but I think generally speaking 99% of the game has been great but that's what you that's where you need to kind of tidy up is those 1% very small errors that lead to very clear chances on goal but I think my biggest kind of um, what I'm looking forward to the most I think is seeing who's going to start in goal um, obviously as a goalkeeper slightly biased um, but obviously Arnold Clark it's a competitive Cup, position right we, I mean all three of them had a, had a game each so I'm just I don't know where this is going now so I think this is going to be a big indicator who starts for these two and games and Hannah Hampton really threw a spanner in the works because everyone probably would have had her as like definitely the third, third choice yep. and now they're like wow she was so good against Spain that's really throwing things up in the air and in these two fixtures especially which you know, England are cruising towards World Cup qualification already. Like, who who would you play in goal? Um, I think Ellie Roebuck is still looking too strong, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, Mary Epps is there and about, but I don't I don't think she's quite number one just yet. And I think Ellie's been too strong. So I think I think she'll still start. That's my This is where me and Chloe differ. Really? Yeah, I'd, I think Mary Epps is probably still number one. 
Do you reckon? Yeah, just. It's so tough. I think Earps has been really good when she's been called upon for England. And I think she's had a pretty good season for United. A few slip ups in games, mm. but she's been, she's, she's still a, a, an elite shot stopper. Absolutely. Um, and she's played more minutes this season as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Roebuck obviously spent like the first half of the season still recovering from injury. So. It's so tight. It's so, oh, honestly, I think that's the hardest, that's the hardest spot really. And, you know, we've seen in the past some England managers rotate goalkeepers in tournament. So it'd be interesting to see what Riegman does. I would want to have the same goalkeeper throughout because I think that's important to build that relationship with the defence and and that leadership and that communication. But at the same time, is she going to, you know, for, for some of the, Supposed easier group games. Say we're qualified. I don't even think we have easy group. That well, you know, say games. by the time we get to the Northern Ireland game, which I think is our last one. I think it's Austria, Norway, Northern Ireland. Say we're, we won the first two and we're home and dry now to get through the quarterfinals. You know, that maybe that Northern Ireland game is where you play a different goalkeeper. But if it was me, I would play the same one all the way through. But you know, you also have to factor in if there's injury, you need to know that 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 goalkeeper can come off the bench and perform. And I'll never forget in uh, Canada 2015 World Cup. BC Place, uh, England versus Canada quarterfinals in Vancouver and Karen Bardsley got injured. She got like, it was on obviously 3G because we love to try things out on women's football. Um, she got one of those little black pellets in her eye and Ooh, like, it happens. yeah, and it like she, her eye got really red and obviously, you know, quite important that she can see. So she ended up coming off. I think it was maybe 1-1 at the time um, or 2-1. Anyway, she came off and Siobhan Chamberlain had to come on in the quarterfinals of a World Cup against the hosts and you know, obviously big trust in Siobhan Chamberlain that she could do that. So I think that would be the thing maybe in these games is getting those those goalkeepers minutes and com- like being comfortable with their defence um, so that, God forbid, that happened in a, in a Euros that they would feel comfortable bringing on a sub. I think you also have to be careful as well. I mean, COVID is still happening. It only takes one goalkeeper True. to get COVID and you yeah. just, you, you can't we've use had them two, for the entire we've tournament. We've had two people drop out of the camp already with COVID. Yeah, no, really. It's that. So I really think important it, point. One yeah. sneeze and it could all yeah. go down. <laughs> and it all, all collapse. Um, <laughs> what is everyone going to be doing this week, this weekend? I'm going to be covering England, but uh, from the comfort of uh, London Bridge. You're going to be out in North Macedonia? Yes, I'm flying to Skopje tomorrow night. Um, back on, God, Sunday because direct flights are few and far between. And then out to Northern Ireland the following week. So potentially coming to you from Northern Ireland next week. Love it. Uh, we've got the weekend off. Nice. Um, yeah, we had a, a really good weekend game. So I think we've given we've been given the weekend off to just chill and relax. So obviously being in my thirties, I'm going to go and visit a friend who has a baby. Oh, what cute. else do you do? What else do you do? Cute, Weddings cute. or babies? <laughs> <laughs> well, that is it for today's episode of Upfront on Football Ramble presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet for myself, at Girls on the Ball for Rachel, or at Morgie underscore eighty nine for Chloe. We'll see you all next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.